Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas, and we are talking today about education in Massachusetts. And we're going to talk a little about the direction the state is heading in uh, in this current new era uh, following the passage uh, in late 2015 of a big new federal education law. And that has set the stage for uh, states to adopt systems for how their schools are going to be measured going forward. And we have two smart voices who know a lot about this uh, joining us. Uh, I am here with Linda Noonan, who is the executive director of the Massachusetts Business Alliance for Education. Welcome to the podcast, Linda. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. And Ben Foreman, uh, who sits down the hall from me here and is the research director at MassInc. Uh, how are you doing, Ben? Great, Michael. All right, so so we're going to dig in on what's happening in the world of K-12 education, and uh, and a lot of people will be familiar with some of the phrases that, that, that we hear in the, in the education talk, like no child left behind, which was the uh, big federal law that uh, became, frankly, pretty unpopular uh, as the years wore on. So that law was finally updated uh, in late 2015 with a new law that's just really a continuation of this long federal uh, oversight of education. And the new law, which is termed the Every Student Succeeds Act, uh, was approved after a long standoff between Democrats and Republicans. So that sort of pushes us forward now in terms of of the federal government oversight of K-12 education. And states now, in turn, have to come up with their plan for how they're going to comply with the new law. And that's what we want to get into. Massachusetts is right on the cusp of submitting its plan to the feds uh, on Monday. But before we do that, just why don't we try to help orient listeners a little bit to this whole question about uh, school accountability and standards and, and, and sort of what has brought us up to this point. And Linda, you're a, a great person to to uh, help help uh, help guide us there because uh, your organization, the Mass Business Alliance, was really a pivotal uh, player in the in the uh, passage of the state's landmark education reform law almost 25 years ago in 1993. So help just orient people uh, uh, to this whole world that we're going to get into a little conversation on. Sure. So the Massachusetts Business Alliance for Education, which is abbreviated MBAE, um, was instrumental in developing the framework for the Education Reform Act of 1993 and getting it passed. And it really was is something that we take for granted today, but was a fairly radical idea at the time, which was that all of the communities across Massachusetts would have the same high standards for learning in English, math, every single subject, and then would be held accountable for their students in schools meeting those standards. And the first accountability system that really reviewed districts and looked at how they were doing across a range of things, not just test scores, which I think was one of the reasons people did not like No Child Left Behind was because of its emphasis on test scores. But the accountability system in Massachusetts included district visits and reviews, and it was updated in 2008. So this is really just another update, which is something that we do regularly. And it is really originally designed to set a floor that every student across the state would be able to meet, a floor of basic proficiency. And one of the things about the update is that we realize now that that's not enough for a knowledge-based economy today. And 
And when you say, uh, you know, basic proficiency, it really does kind of harken back to the to the term "no child left behind." Uh, as as again, as much criticism as that came in for, it really did capture a pretty admirable aspiration that we had for our schools and for our kids. And 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 the law, though, sort of became criticized for uh, having a pretty narrow focus on on tests and and testing outcomes and for giving states a pretty rigid roadmap for how to how to sort of hold schools accountable. And, and I think the new update to that federal law has been described in a lot of ways as, as one that has kind of loosened the reins a bit and given states more flexibility. It still sort of says we, we should sort of aspire to get every kid over a certain bar, but it's, 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 it's giving a lot more uh, leeway as to how, how to do that, how to measure it, what to do in schools that are, are not making the grade. And so uh, help us, Ben, sort of understand what it is that, that, that state officials with input from uh, educators and other community groups throughout the state that have given input, what is it that they're sort of talking about changing and, and what is it that is important about this moment that we're at? Well, I think, Michael, the law tried to get at other learning outcomes besides academic performance. So how well students were doing after they graduate from school, their post-secondary outcomes, whether it's in career or, or college, um, outcomes like social-emotional growth, which people have called non-cognitive or non-academic, skills that are really valued in the workplace that we don't pick up in our current standardized tests. I think there was hope in the law that we would open the door towards measuring and holding schools accountable for those outcomes. Um, it only gave a little bit of leeway there, not a lot, because it still said that when you develop a formula for weighing school performance, you had to factor in the academic outcomes most heavily. So, so I, I think you know the law gave some additional leeway in terms of how you define school quality. It gave more leeway in terms of what you do when schools are underperforming. Uh, before, you know, it, we, the federal government had mandated certain steps, and it relaxed that in part as an acknowledgement that it didn't really know what worked when it came time to turn around uh, struggling schools. And so it said to the states, go about figuring it out on your own because we don't have all the answers here. Right. I think the key point about the difference between No Child Left Behind and the ESSA Every is Student Succeeds Every Student Act. Succeeds Act, sometimes referred to as ESSA. Um, the, the key point is that the authority was moving from the federal government to the states and even to the districts because districts have a, a responsibility to report to their community data about their schools and they can include indicators and information beyond what the state includes in its accountability system. So while M Massachusetts has a challenge because it has to develop its own accountability system with based on its past experience, which has been, um, you know, pretty significant, much more than probably a lot of other states who are doing this for the first time. But also, we have, so we have that challenge, but we have great opportunity, as Ben said, to start measuring the right things. Now, I was disappointed that college and college and career measures were actually not really used in the state plan, particularly career measures, but hopefully those will evolve over time and districts may report on some of those indicators, even if the state doesn't include it in accountability. So why don't, I mean, let's get into a little bit what we're going to measure, what we're not. And I guess at its, at its root, I mean, I mean, one thing, again, to orient listeners a little bit is that, uh, you know, 
at least several years ago, we would have been saying that kind of linchpin of this was the MCAS test. I mean, that's the sort of high stakes uh, test that's given throughout the state that that sort of you know sets the sets the bar, and sort of from that, a lot of the measurements have flown have have fought, have flowed. Uh, we're updating that test now. It may have a different name, but the same basic principle that is in play that state leaders in the education department say, you know, core academic achievement has to be sort of the main business that, that schools are about and the, and, and the principal thing that we're going to look to hold schools accountable for. But I just wonder, you know, we're now 25 years into the, the ed reform era in Massachusetts, and presumably the things we measure, I mean, there's sort of, you know, a twofold goal here. We want to measure things that we think are, are, are important signals of, of uh, how students are doing and where they're going. And then we also want to know whether the act of measuring these, the things that we're going to hold uh, districts and schools accountable for, are those uh, generating then the kind of changes and, and action at the local level that also we think is, is helpful and good for, 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 for students. So how, how do you sort of size that up, Ben, and, and you know, in terms of the, you know, the things we're going to be measuring? And, what, and you know, Linda just talked a little about college and career measures that, that uh, she would like to have seen more or seen some, some representation here. What is it that you, know, you like, or what, but what is it you're concerned about or are you worried about not, that, we're not, that we're missing an opportunity here? Well, I, I think it's an interesting problem, and it's clear how the departments solved it. They maintained the status quo. I think they were very clear in presenting the plan this week to the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education that this is more or less what we've been doing. What we have been doing has worked in their view. Right, they it's have a kind accelerated of accelerated. It's, it's not broken, don't fix it, right? And that we kind of sit on our on our mm-hmm. sort of national top of the ranking status that that we all kind of applaud regularly. There's a very compelling argument to be made that accountability over the past decade since No Child Left Behind has driven Massachusetts to the front of states on academic performance. That's something that we should hold sacred and uh, not change what we're doing because if we do, there's real risk of losing the discipline that's been placed on core academic skills, which many see as the main functions of, of schools and the ability of schools to do more than that, maybe asking too much of them. Mm-hmm. But then you still see, I mean, even in the reports that the state has put out uh, in conjunction with this this new uh, accountability system, the concerns that, you know, a huge, you know, so we sort of, we top all these national rankings, even some of these international rankings, yet uh, a decent chunk of, of kids graduating from Massachusetts high schools, if they go on to public higher ed institutions in the state, there's a pretty decent percentage of them that, that sort of need to take remedial classes in English or math. It suggests that we're maybe a little, uh, you know, we're maybe fooling ourselves if we think that, that kids are really as prepared as, as we think and kind of makes, you know, I, I, I then sort of shudder to think about some of the states ranking 40th and where their kids are at, but that we won't get too worried about them for today. But we're, I mean, I mean, is the glass is the glass sort of half full or half empty? I guess. So I feel compelled to make a few points. First of all, I think it's really important to acknowledge that we are moving from a proficiency measure to a college and career readiness measure. And as Ben said, there is a lot of opportunity within the definition of social and emotional learning to include measures that are important to employers to higher education. But we did a report, oh, about a year or more ago, looking at MCAS, and it is not and never was designed to be a measure of college and career readiness. It measures on the 10th grade test 
eighth grade basic skills, basic proficiency to function in the world, not to succeed in the world. And that's why I think it's so problematic is because anybody who teaches to that test is teaching to far too low a bar. Let's also remember it was designed to be a floor. It was designed to be the level that every student would get to. Over time, it has become a ceiling. So with the new MCAS, I think we, and therefore with the accountability system, we need to look for some very specific outcomes. We need to see whether or not public higher ed will set a, a level that if students reach on the new MCAS, they will consider college ready. And that would be defined by letting students go into a credit-bearing course, placement in a credit-bearing course without having to take a, a placement test, which is now being used, the Accuplacer. It means that there are that kids graduate can graduate career ready by showing they have some sort of credential or credit towards post-secondary or that they have taken certain rigorous courses. I think th there's a lot of, within the plan itself, there's a lot of room for implementation um, changes or innovation or creativity. And so it's, it's, you know, we have to remember to learn from those lessons behind and to look not necessarily at, you know, what even though we have looked at the indicators and said, gee, we wish some other things were there, but look at the conditions that it creates. You know, does it clarify and strengthen our system? Does it, um, you know, guard against allowing poor performance to be hidden behind the way that subgroups are defined or, or grouped? I mean, there's a lot of technical things that could really sort of dash our hopes on this new change. I mean, one way that people have talked about this is the state has an excellent definition of college, career, and civic readiness that's been adopted by both the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education and the, the Board of Higher Education. And by no means does this accountability system measure whether schools are helping students be prepared to that definition, which says they'll graduate with the skills uh, in all domains to be college, career, ready, and ready for civic life. We're only measuring whether they're graduating with the skills in one domain. And I, I think that that is... What do you mean, or, or, or one domain? In, in the academic domain. Mm. And as Linda has just said, even in that regard, our, at, at present, we're not really measuring are they ready for college and career because they're taking a 10th grade test that, by and large, most are passing and most are saying, you know, that's not sufficient to be college and career ready today. We, we need a, a, a higher standard. And so there was talk of including measures like the percentage of students who are graduating with some credit uh, f from an AP test or from early college, some, some post-secondary credits, because we know from the evidence if they graduate high school with some of those post-secondary credits, they're going to be much better prepared to pursue post-secondary education and training. That's why we're expanding early college in Massachusetts. But there's nothing in the accountability system that gives a principal any incentive to work hard on developing their early college program and making sure more students have those experiences. Right, and we're always saying, you know, what gets, you know, what gets measured gets done, what gets tested, you know, gets focused on. So are we, are, I mean, so are we really missing sort of some opportunities here? And are we, you know, are we being too cautious? And again, sort of too, is there too much kind of resting on our laurels? Or, or is it just kind of the inertia of big systems that where change 
is hard to, to, to put into, into motion. Well, like Linda said, you know, this was supposed to set a floor, not a ceiling. And what it has done is essentially set a ceiling because we're trying to just get people over the finish line of a 10th grade test that doesn't leave them prepared. And we haven't pushed harder to adopt these measures of more rigorous academic performance in high school, which, by the way, many other states have. Yes. And, and, you know, I think that we have still a lot of questions about how are the indicators going to be used? Where are the um, levels that going to be set? And there will be pressure, just as there was when MCAS came along the first time in the 90s, to set the levels low enough to include most kids. And what we really need are honest measures. We need to be honest with parents, with teachers, and with kids. We need to tell them where they really are. Are they on track to graduate ready for post-secondary success regardless of what pathway? And, you know, frankly, the, the PARC test, which was a test developed by a consortium of states, by all evaluations seemed to do that. But And we need to have something that, so we know that it can be done and we need to know that we do it here. And, and I just want to say one thing about our leading the nation, because, and I always um, am accused of being doom and gloom, but remember that we lead the nation on the NAEP where we're taking one sample of one grade of kids in one subject. If you look at the raw scores, you'll see that we are leading the nation with raw scores in the 50 percentile, low 60 percentile range. And our African-American and Latino students are doing much worse than that. So these are not, you know, if I went home to my father and said, guess what? I was topping my class. And by the way, I got a 50. He would not be impressed. And if if you look at where we are, it's the same internationally on the PISA. You look at one grade, but you look at some other OECD data, you see that we're in the middle of the pack. And there are other states and other countries that are on a faster trajectory of improvement. They'll eventually pass us by if we stand still. And so let's, I mean, I mean, one sort of data point relevant to that is that there, there was a big report in the last year or so that said for the first time, I think half of all public school students in, in America were from low-income uh, households. So, and Ben, you've been doing a lot of work in, here in Massachusetts in uh, what we've called the gateway cities, the sort of small to mid-sized urban areas that, uh, you know, have pretty high concentrations of poverty, high populations of, of minority students. And, and frankly, this is really the population uh, for whom these accountability standards were most designed, and it's the populations for whom the federal laws, uh, you know, going way back to the civil rights movement of the 60s, which is the genesis of this federal uh, statute that we're talking about. I mean, it was all, it all had to do with the fear that there were, pop, you know, groups within the population that, that were being left behind. And so, you know, when you think about the work in those cities and those kids, again, what do you, what do you feel is missing or, or what should we be really zeroing in on as we have this opportunity now to rethink how we're going to approach, you know, the accountability for schools, which we think, again, drives kind of how schools operate and, and how they respond. Well, I'd start that by saying, you know, should we be measuring whether students are doing additional things besides core academic learning? And I think if you think about the needs of students in high-poverty schools, the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, you know, a good example is kindergarten readiness. You know, if we're not as a district, as a community working to get kids for ready for kindergarten, uh, we're losing a major opportunity. Another example is parent engagement. 
uh, we know that it's going to take a different model in order to get parents to interact with schools um, where for a variety of reasons they might have difficulty because they're working multiple jobs, because they're cultural barriers. Whatever they are, we need them engaged, but it's going to take more work on part of the school. If the school's putting that effort out, we ought to recognize it and demonstrate uh, the, their success. And, and you know, lastly, I think the transition into post-secondary, that's important as well. We can't just leave kids at high school graduation with no assistant. No kid from a middle class or more affluent background, you know, progresses from there successfully on entirely on their own. And these students need support when they're first-time college-going students, and we're not giving that to them to now, and they're falling on their face because of it. It's not primarily the academics that is the reason why we have 10 or only 15% of these students graduating with any sort of post-secondary credential. When more than half are, are going and giving it a shot, it's a whole variety of factors, and if we don't think about that transition and how we... Uh, enable them to be successful in whatever they choose to do, uh, we're not going to get the return on the significant investment we've made in them up for now, up till then, and we're not going to have them prepared to participate in the economy we have today. I, I think it's a really important point that you've raised because the original accountability system was really driven to achieve equity. It was to close achievement gaps, to close opportunity gaps. And even though all students have improved, and we do lead the nation with our scores, um, on most, the gaps remain as wide as they were almost 25 years ago. And so the, the original intent was not just to identify low-performing schools and intervene there, but also to accept to um, identify exceptional performance and work with schools to replicate it. And so I think that we have to remember when we talk about accountability that it's not it's to identify excellence, it's to try to get everybody to excellence, and that equity should be the driving point behind it. And that's going to be really important as we look at subgroups of students and we make sure that we're identifying them very accurately and reporting on them very honestly and not trying to group kids together to raise and make it look like we're doing better than we are. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe the, sort of the last thing to touch on is we haven't really talked a lot about, I mean, this accountability system is all supposed to drive improvement, drive behavior. There, there are uh, built into it then um, sanctions or ways that the state holds schools accountable for behavior. And so where are we at with that whole process of trying to uh, uh, drive improvement once schools have been identified as really uh, lagging badly behind? There have been, I mean, the state has pretty robust powers. We have a couple of school, entire school districts now in, this, in, in, the, in Massachusetts that have been taken over and are now directed by the state education department. Um, and we've got individual schools that have had the same uh, treatment given to them where the state has said, to local districts, you're just not getting the job done. We're going to come in, and the state has pretty wide powers at that point to try to make changes in the schools. I mean, do we? What do you think about the state of our ability to make good things happen when the state comes in, or our, or just our knowledge or understanding of of what it does take when you have all that authority? Do we do we do we know yet really what to do when you when we intervene in these schools, and what's that going to mean? now in this next period going forward. So Ben said something earlier that I think is really important, which is we need the system to do something that it wasn't really designed to do. It was designed to 
you know, we all went to school and sat in rows probably, and it was designed to process students and track them into pretty clear post-secondary choices. But now we need a system that prepares kids with the skills to function in a knowledge-based economy, to learn how to learn, to adapt over their lifetime, to work with people who are not like them, who may not even speak their language. This is going to require change. It requires change across the board in how we teach what we think and measure is important. And that, I think the jury is still out. I think there are some successful turnarounds. There are some that have not been as successful. And the big question is, can you sustain it? What do you think, Ben? Do we know what we're, do we know what we're doing yet when we go in and grab these schools? You can just Well, say I may not answer this them. question directly, but this is what I want to say, Michael. I, I mean, I, I think this is about equity, right? That was the whole point of this exercise. And I think, you know, in 1954, we established that separate is not equal. And the biggest indictment of accountability is that over the last two decades or so, our schools have become more and more economically segregated. And that's all of our Gateway City students now attend high poverty schools almost across the board. There are no, not many economically integrated schools in our Gateway Cities. And I think that is a real challenge. And nowhere in this accountability plan does it say we're going to address that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk about separating the signal from the noise. And I'm not sure that the state can do that when it comes to measuring the performance of inclusive urban public schools. Uh, I happen to send my daughter to a school that's economically integrated, and the state currently says it's in the fifth percentile of schools, which under the federal law would mean it's a failing school. We've been there three years. I spent 500 days in that school. I've never seen anything but excellence in that school. So, you know, if we want to have economically integrated urban public schools, we need to be able to separate the, the signal from the noise and say, this is where we took a student who had all kinds of trauma, all kinds of learning disabilities, all kinds of language barriers, and moved their learning uh, significantly. And we reflect the performance of that team of educators. I think that's really central. I didn't see that discussion had or see where it's reflected in the plan. I, I think another issue here is we talk about accountability aligned from the teachers who are accountable for their performance, the schools and districts, being accountable for performance, all to a set of standards. But I know that educators will say, where is accountability on the part of the state? Um, they have a constitutional obligation to provide the resources our students need to learn. And, uh, you know, we have a foundation budget review commission that has said we're not fulfilling that constitutional obligation. And, you know, the, the plan talks about school resource reviews when we have schools are struggling, looking at how they're spending the money. But, but nowhere do we say we're going to take an objective look as, it, as an administrative agency and figure out what it costs to provide students with the conditions of effective education that the department has established. So I think if, if you talk to the voice of labor, who's uh, kind of been derided because they don't accept accountability in the way it's been applied, uh, those are the, some of the, the comments they've been making that I think that we can't discount them. Well, I think that uh, where it leaves us is uh, certainly feeling like there's a lot, uh, a lot that we have to improve on and, and get right. And um, you know, I, I think uh, to take the takeaway, I think from hearing both of you is that we hope the plan uh, as it goes forward is not going to be the final word, and that and that there's going to be uh, more, more, uh, more discussion and more opportunity to sort of update this. So I, I, I have to. Uh, uh, end it here and and thank you both for uh, for coming in to talk. This has been the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. 
You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. I want to thank again Ben Foreman, the research director here at Mass Inc., Linda Noonan from the Mass Business Alliance for Education. Thanks, both of you, for coming in and uh, listen to us again next week here on the podcast. Thanks, everyone.